right. So it's 11.14 right now. So um, I do apologize for uh, saying I would <laughs> appear at six, but this is how my whole day went. So uh, basically I woke up at like 8 a.m. Went to get myself ready, got some breakfast. And um, then I, you know, packed up my gear and um, not my gear, but, you know, I have I'm selling I'm selling some stuff. So like um, a friend of mine in Minnesota um, bought um, a pair of my hi hats uh, for a really, really dope price. So, um, you know, I had to find a box and things like that. and have it all shipped out and then after i got all that figured out uh went to my tax person and got my taxes figured out i actually got a return this year even though my job didn't handle the state taxes so i have to pay state taxes but anyways i'll get that figured out um then later today my my dude carlos brickhouse hit, hits me up he's like hey uh so a friend of mine needs a drummer for his church service um, on Sunday, uh, so I hit him. I hit up uh, Carlos's dude, and he's like, "Yeah, man, um, it's in it's in Suitland." I'm like, "That's near DC, <laughs> you know." But luckily, um, the church's bass player lived in Baltimore near Johns Hopkins, so I got in touch with the bass player, um, and he's like, "Well, yeah, man, um, you know, can you come to rehearsal today?" And this is when I'm just getting home from, you know, doing, uh, shipping my, my hi-hats out, um, then going to my tax person and then going to record and tape traders. It was a crazy day. And then I get asked the same day to come out to rehearsal for Sunday service. And I didn't know, surprisingly, I didn't know any of the songs. So, um, it was, it was, it was an interesting day to say the least. Um, but it was a busy day indeed. Um, so that's why I couldn't make it at six o'clock because things just got really, really busy for me. And I do apologize. I'm, I'm working on getting consistent with this podcast. I'm going to record my podcast on Thursdays, try to upload them on Fridays. If time permits it, if I can't upload it on Fridays, I will upload it on Saturday. Um, I don't have a consistent time yet, but I'll let you know. So if you guys haven't checked out my last podcast, my last podcast was about knowing when to name drop and observing your surroundings. Um, this second podcast will be about, uh, basically how my first gig went, like my first gig outside of the church. Um, you know, I was around, I want to say I was around 13 going on 14 and it was, um, I'll just tell you the whole story because it's my podcast. So, um, basically I was just jamming out at guitar center on the electronic kits and some random dude that looked important was like, dude, like you're a beast, you're a monster. And he was basically, you know, priming me up and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he was impressed by my foot technique and my hand technique and things like that. And 
and supposedly I was playing really clean. So he was he was like, yeah, man, I own I own a label and I'm going to be on on a on the radio station and all this stuff. The label was called Thunderground Records. I don't know. I was invited to some events by him and nothing really got off the ground, but he did hook me up with a gig. And um, I forgot where the venue was. I think it was somewhere near Security Square Mall. Uh, hey, hi, Hugh. <laughs> I hope all is well. But yeah, let me let me get back into it. But um, yeah, my first gig was near Security Square Mall. It was at some kind of restaurant. And it was with this band called the 209 Band. Um, if you live in Baltimore and you see t the stickers 209 on like light posts and things like that, that was actually a band. I don't know if they're stu still together or not. Keep in mind, I was like 13 or 14. So this was before social media really like started to boom. Um, so, you know, this guy hooks me up with the gig and I, I get to the gig with my gear and things like that. He's like, yeah, man, the gig's going to pay a hundred bucks. And, uh, yeah, Ted Cast. <laughs> Peter O'Neill's like, I've been, I've been bamboozled. You got got, man. It's a Ted Cast now. You're in a, a live episode of Ted Cast. But let me get back to my story. So the guy says, yeah, it's paying a hundred bucks and things like that. And of course, my mom was with me because I, you know, at that time, I, I still don't have a license to this day, but I didn't have a license because I was 14. But, um, oh, I turned 14 the following month. But yeah, I was 13. And, um, so I, I get to the gig and see that there's another drummer there. And this is how I learned about staccato drums too. Cause the drummer that was hi originally hired for the gig, um, was basically, uh, <laughs> there with some staccato drums. And I, I just bought my sunlight kit. This is before I had my Yamaha kit. I bought my sunlight kit and I had a still pearl piccolo snare drum that my godfather bought me. And, um, so I get there and it was a huge confusion, but the, the, actually the, the drummer that originally got hired was, was cool about it because something tells me that he didn't want to play the gig. So he's just like, yeah, man, you go ahead and play the gigs, whatever. So, you know, we play out and stuff like that. And then, um, the owner comes out multiple times. He's like, Hey, can you, can you guys tone it down? Can you and the band actually started to get upset because like the, the impression that I got is like, I'm going to be playing in front of a bunch of people. Like nobody gave me, I didn't know any better. So like we were just jamming out and then people were complaining. Um, and lo and behold, we did get fired. So my first gig I got fired from, um, I didn't make my $100. I, uh, however, a guest there, uh, was like, Hey, can you play a drum solo? Cause you sound really good. Can you play a drum solo and we'll give you 40 bucks. So I made that, I made an extra 40 bucks anyways, but it was, it was, a uh, it was, a humbling gig and a, and a rough way to get into the Baltimore music scene. Um, I mean, I was already struggling and <laughs> I was already struggling trying to get, get a, get a chance to play in church, you know, because, uh, the church I grew up in, you know, already had in demand musicians. So, you know, they wouldn't give me the time of day and I was already shy on top of that. 
But, um, you know, my mom was like constantly trying to tell them, like, hey, you, you should put them on your wing and teach them things. But they, you know, since I wasn't related to any musicians, they didn't want to take, they, they didn't want, they want no parts of me until I really started, you know, I sound bitter, but that's, that's how it was. And, um, and that's a, that's a different, that's a different conversation I'll bring up later. But yeah, so the lesson I learned from that gig was, and I didn't realize it until I got older was, um, learn to play, learn to play the room. You know, I didn't learn this until I got older, till I got around like, around, you know, 19 or 20. So this is still like recent and, and like, like learn to play the room. You don't always have to play hard or just play to the, play to the vibe of the room. If the room is intimate, play intimate, but still be felt, you know, like that's, that's the issue with a lot of, a lot of musicians these days. They just don't know how to play the rooms. They always overexert themselves when they don't have to. Like, um, I think, I think the best advice I was given was from, I want to say it was from Dennis. It was from Dennis Chambers. Like he, he showed me, he showed me a technique where it sounded like he was playing really, really loud, but he really wasn't. He was, he was just playing with intensity and he, he just used the room to his advantage. And I, ever since I started playing like that, it's just, I got gigs, not, you know, not big gigs, but people, you know, knew that if, if, uh, if they got me, you know, I will be as dynamic as possible. I'll be sensitive to my surroundings. Cause, um, I didn't, after that gig, I didn't want to do a 209 band situation ever again, where the owner would come out and just cuss everybody out. Like that gig was so embarrassing, but it was, a, it was an eye opener. Um, but yeah, drummers, like you guys, I understand everybody wants to, you know, flail and play their chops and play everything under the sun. But when you get hired to play a gig, and you're 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 a sideman it's first of all it's not about you it's definitely not about you it's about you making the artist sound good and making the band that you're playing with sound good and everybody's concentrating on making everything sound good you know once you get that then the 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 audience will appreciate it and then they'll hear a band instead of a group of individuals that can play you know, now granted, there'll be situations where you just can't help but sound like individuals because you get thrown together at the last minute. But when you get in a unit that actually listens to each other, that listens to everybody's time and locks in, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Because um, let me let me see, let me see what I wrote down in my notes. So. I email, I email myself my notes. Like anytime I have an idea for my podcast or Facebook live, I write it down and I'm trying to find the mail. There it is. The mail app. And let's go ahead and scroll. So what I wrote down was, uh, 
you know, play the room, use the room to your advantage, especially drummers. But like, play as a unit. Like, I can't, like, I think I woke up to that. I really woke up to that when I watched Mike Reed play on a Jonathan Nelson recording. And then in 2007, I heard Calvin Rogers, I heard Calvin Rogers play for Marvin Sapp. And just how, just how tight everything was and how, like, everybody was just right there. Like, the whole, every, there was no star player. It's just everybody was, like, there. You know, and I, and, and I, I, like, when I made that realization, I noticed that I was playing in groups where people were just dependent on me to make them shine. And I'm just like, everybody should do their job, for real, you know? And uh, so what I wrote down was like, it's not always about self-highlighting. Pick your spots and have a reason why you decide to stick out. If you really, if you really don't have the facility to stick out, don't force it. And what I mean is, if you're playing, like for me, my weakness is, believe it or not, triplets. Like, I my mind always gets blown when I hear cats play like different triplet chops. Uh, and with flams and different kind of like rudiments with, within it and how they place it like it blows my mind I, I that's that's not my world you know and and I wish I could do that but I just don't have the facility right now but I'm not gonna force it you know if, if the song is swinging I'm not gonna add triplets just to make it sound right I just I'm not gonna do it because then if I do it 75% of the time I'm going to sound stupid and mess up the whole flow you know it's better sometimes it's just better not to say anything you know musically speaking sometimes it's better not to say anything um, instead of just you know like I'm just going to do it here we go and then you just stumble you know now there are situations like if you're playing for me in my opinion if you're playing jazz that's the perfect time to take risks that's perfect time but if you're in a studio session where you're a sideman it's just from from what from conversations i've listened to from various ogs and uh, by the way ogs mean the people that came before me the people that i respect the people that i look up to i call them the ogs um but yeah like from the conversations i've heard from the ogs you don't want to take any risks in a situation where you're not where everybody's not taking risk just do your role do your part chill you know um also um if you have the facility i'm back to my notes if you have the facility know your spots like i see this a lot with keyboard players because they get away with it the most you guys will pull out a random chord just to hear oh my god like just play the song sometimes man you you'll get burnt out just overthinking trying to find the hot the next hottest chord which there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes you're just taken away from from the you know the logic of the song you know again it's not about you you know um i'd rather have a a, a, a super solid band than a group of individuals, you know? I, like, I like I also wrote, 
I'd rather hear that band sounding great than man, insert artist here was cool, but that musician though, like you don't want to be that person. Um, prime example, prime example is like um, how James Brown kind of became a mentor or father figure to Bootsy Collins. And now Bootsy did this unintentionally, but Bootsy was killing so hard that people would come into James Brown's show to see Bootsy. And you know, James Brown is a frontman. He doesn't like getting the spotlight taken away from him. So as, as much as it pained James Brown to do this, James Brown let Bootsy Collins go. He fired him because he was still in James Brown spotlight and James didn't like that. So you really like, I'm just saying there's a time and place for everything, you know, basically. So I think, I think that's all I have to bring up, man. Like my, my first moments of my first gig of getting fired and not because I didn't play the room and I didn't play quiet, but also, you know, I was around musicians that didn't want to play the room. They thought they were playing a show when they really wasn't, they were, they were supposed to provide ambient music. I should, that, that should be another point. If you're going to, if you're going to book a gig, be sure you ask the person that's hiring your band, like what kind of event, uh, is it like, is it a show? Am I providing just background music or is it both crowd interaction and background music? Like what do you expect us to do? Um, because believe me, coming in with a specific mindset will help or hinder the gig. If you come into a gig thinking you're going to play a show, but you're playing, you know, dinner music, it's going to be so hard to concentrate to, to relax yourself. You know, it's going to be really, really hard to relax yourself because you're already primed up, ready to play a full on show and you get there. It's just chill, you know, and then you're going to have to probably try to warm yourself down. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just wish, um, like, that's why I, I kind of tell, uh, oh, thanks. This shirt's from Arizona. The brand is Arizona. I, I want another one. I haven't seen another one like this. But, um, yeah, but like, I wish I could tell drummers that are trying to get onto ships that you're not really playing the big stage. Is that us? Okay. No, that's okay. You're not always playing a big stage, depending on what cruise line you're on. You're going to be playing, you know, your own separate smaller venue. Like for me, I'm in the show band on carnival ships and um, you know, when I got to my first ship, I thought, oh man, I'm going to be on the big stage and I'm going to be killing it on some real drums and things like that. And, you know, I get there and I see a tiny stage and they were like, yeah, we just ordered some electronic drums and we need you to set it up and then bolt drills in 45 minutes. You know, um, and then you're probably wondering for those who follow me on Instagram at Teddy three, three, zero shameless plug. Um, well, what about the big stages or the big stage that your snare drum is on? That is a production show. That is the production show stage that I typically play on once a week. 
or twice a week, depending on what production shows the ships has. Carnival has 27 ships in the fleet. <sighs> Quick side note. If you've been on a carnival ship, please learn the name of the ship. It's not just, oh, I've been on a carnival cruise. I'm gonna ask you what ship you've been on and chances are you probably don't know. Please learn the name of your ship so I can know <laughs> where, where, you know, where you've been. Cause uh, I've been on, my first, ship's car my first ship was the Carnival Imagination in Long Beach. My second ship was the Carnival Magic in Port Canaveral. My third ship was the Vista. And I've been on the Vista twice. I did a fill-in contract for Ron Bryant for one week on the Vista. And then uh, then they wanted me back on the Vista for four months. So I did four contracts for three ships. Yo, Kaz. Yo, Kaz is in the room. Kaz. I'm hearing them tracks, man. Those tracks are scary, man. Scary in a good way. Like, those tracks are fire. Like, like we need Smokey the Bear on your tracks. Because you're not preventing forest fires. You, you're making them. You're making them, man. You're making them fire. You're making that fire, man. <laughs> uh, and also, um, yeah, I'm just saying how Carnival's set up. You know, you're not going to be always playing the big stage. Um... Most of the time you have your own small stage where if you're playing acoustic drums, you're definitely going to need to learn how to play with intensity. That's one thing I learned about Carnival. I learned how to play with intensity up the butt, man. Like, like playing six inch stick heights, you know, learning how to, you know, like I already had dynamic fills but they weren't dynamic enough because the singers were like less than two feet away in front of my bass drum or less than two feet away from my crash cymbal. So like I had to learn like how to tone it down really, really quick. Um, and uh, it was, it was, cause well on the Carnival Magic, I had acoustic drums, but on the, on the Vista, I had to learn how to pace myself um because only with electronic drums you're dealing with mesh and rubber you're dealing with extra rebound like on a real drum set on a real drum set you know the snare probably has the most rebound the toms probably have like the rat toms have uh the second most rebound if that makes sense the floor tom has the second to least floor tom, not floor tom, the second to least rebound, and the kick drum has the least rebound, while the cymbals have crazy rebound. Um, playing on electronic drums for months, like, okay, on carnival ships, depending on how the ship is set up, every ship is different. On the Imagination and on the Vista, I had to play four one-hour sets six nights a week with one day off um and like every night my like you have you have to play with high energy because like if you're if you play with just intensity the the trigger system is not going to understand and you think it thinks you're just playing soft because when you're playing on electronic drums you can't use the room to your advantage hence why it's called acoustic drums because the 
<laughs> the sound that your acoustic drums produce, you can control the sound by using the room as an external instrument. You know, on electronic drums, you can't do that. So that's that's the challenge. And I was playing really hard every night. My my shirt would be soaked. I would have to bring an extra shirt <laughs> after I'm done playing my four one hour sets. You know, but on the Vista, I was starting to get hand issues. I was starting to get hand problems because of um, of only playing one hour and then getting a 15 minute break, one hour, 15 minute break, one hour, 15 minute break, and then one hour. And um, also, you're kind of expected to talk to guests afterwards. You can't just chill. So, uh, you know, it's just when you play on these electronic drums on cruise ships, Learn to pace yourself. Don't play extra super duper hard. Just play hard enough where the trigger system knows that you're laying into it. Now there'll be moments where energy will get so high because you you have a crowd and you wanna put a show on, you wanna you wanna make it look like you're really into it. But still tone yourself back. Because you don't wanna without all that extra rebound means you're getting extra shock through the sticks. And you you don't want that to happen, so keep that in mind um anyways um i got five more minutes i have five more minutes do you guys have any more questions or or thoughts because i just shared with you guys a kind of a personal story about me getting fired from my first gig um i think i already have another uh episode in mind for next week um I don't know. I'm probably going to try to explain. Oh, I already have an idea. I, um, I think the next episode is going to be, it's, it's going to be a question. Are you willing to give up the freedom of choice for an endorsement deal? That's all I'll say. Are you willing to give up the freedom of choice for an endorsement deal? That's all I'll say. Cause I, I constantly talk about endorsement deals. Cause it seems like a lot of musicians my age and younger just they just don't get it you know they don't understand what your responsibility is for an endorsement deal yes you have responsibilities for endorsements i'm trying to catch myself from you know not going there and saving it for next week but um I think that'll be my my next subject, and I have to find out how to get people onto this podcast. Um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just watch. I already have some people in mind. But um, anywho, uh, thank you guys for coming in. I'm nearing thirty minutes. I try to make these podcasts thirty minutes. I don't want to make them fifteen minutes. Also, I'm going to make them downloadable because. Eventually, I'm going to run out of space, and I'm going to have to delete them off of my SoundCloud. Um, but please, 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 please pass this podcast around. I know you guys probably don't have the attention spans to hear me talk for 30 minutes. But the more you pass it around, the better, because I want I really want to make this a thing. I really want to start bringing people on and 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 you know, sharing my thoughts with them and I want to hear their thoughts. Like I have enough microphones. <laughs> I have, I have, a, a, I have a, a, 
Focusrite Sapphire Pro 40 with an Audient ASP 800. That's 16 channels. I can invite 16 people and we can all talk at once, you know? But, you know, some of these microphones can just handle, you know, as many people. I can make this microphone a room mic and it can, and it can pick up everybody, so. Anywho, um, again, thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks for your understanding of me being late. I promise I won't be late next week. I won't be late at all. I'll make sure of it. Um, but if I, if I happen to be late for any reason, you will see a Facebook status of me not being able to come in on time because a gig happened or a rehearsal happened like today. Um, now my plans for tomorrow is upload this podcast, work on some photos. I got uh, hired for the session band again, uh, for video and photo work. So you'll see photos from, uh, from that gig really soon. And also I have photos that I took of Tim Motzer. If you guys don't know who Tim Motzer is, please check him out. He's an amazing guitarist. It's Tim M O T Z E R Tim Motzer. Um, really, really cool cat, really humble, real down to earth. He hangs around, uh, Philadelphia. I think he teaches in, in Philadelphia, but just a really, really cool guy. Um, uh, he has merch and CDs as well. Just go ahead, check out his stuff. Um, for those who don't know me, follow me on Instagram at Teddy three, three, zero. Follow me on Twitter at Eddie G Clef. Uh, if you have any questions, email me at Teddy three, three, zero at iCloud.com and follow me on Facebook, Teddy Grant. So thanks for coming in on this second episode of TedCast. And we'll see you next week. Peace.